Alright, recording has started, so I will play us in. Five. there and welcome to another fun fun episode of here's a guy uh we are back once again in full force this week and in uh i think good spirits question mark seems like we're all we're all getting through well, the last my bit of uh my uh my car kind of shit the bed earlier today so i'm slightly annoyed but other than that i'm doing fine oh yeah and haven't you been been working a lot like every night too <laughs> like yeah like literally like i literally had to turn down games both tonight and tomorrow night because we've got stuff to do and still am going to get in uh, four, four nights this week. So it, it would have been like literally six nights straight and no. So very glad to be doing this and giving my, giving my brain a chance to, you know, deflate to its original stupid position for a little while. Well, we're mostly in good spirits then. Um, so as always, I'm Alex coming to you live from St. Louis. Um, the um, rightful, I'll, I'll clarify, rightful, the rightful complaints you just heard are uh, from my older brother, Cody, joining us uh, from Illinois. Do you have anything you wanted to add about that, about how your week is going? Um, not specifically, other than the fact that I've been busy literally every waking moment. It's gone okay. So And the Rams um, went in the just, Super Bowl. Again, that sucked. Very... But... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thanks yeah, for Alex, reminding how's, me. Yeah, how's the was... city taking that? You know what? I, uh, what more can you really do to us at this point? Yeah, it, it's a real monkey's paw situation for me because one of my complaints the last several years since the relocation, because like, I, I, you know, I'm gonna be careful how much I get into this because this is this is almost like a now you see me situation where I'm going going off on a long tangent if I'm not careful. But it wasn't just the relocation; it was the blatant tanking for years to justify the relocation. Um, and it the was fact literally the plot of. It was the plot of Major League. Essentially, it's that yes. That exact thing is what they did. Like, you're telling me that as soon as the team leaves, suddenly uh, the GM, Les Snead, uh, becomes really, really good at signing free agents? Are, are you telling me that uh, rolling out fucking Brandon Gibson and Denario Alexander at receiver, then suddenly realize, figuring out how to draft Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and sign Odell Beckham, you're, you're telling me that, that that's just happened? Anyway, yeah, um, I, I love how right before they left St. Louis, when they they knew they were going to be able to make it happen, they suddenly started drafting well again. Yeah, like Todd Gurley was a pick that looked good, but they drafted Aaron Donald and well, yeah, Robert and Quinn and those guys. And and what they said about Todd Gurley, who was drafted the year before the Rams left, was that uh, this is a guy we're we're seeing as being good, like because he was coming off an ACL injury, so the idea was him for for him to be good going forward. Aaron Donald, you just get a player like that. But I'll also point out, in their last season in St. Louis, they were maybe running into a problem because the Rams were better than they expected. They hired Jeff Fisher. They're thinking, like, well, this guy always comes up just short of the playoffs. <laughs> and uh, um, they went on a four-game losing streak uh, at the end of the season. And um, Aaron Donald very suspiciously sat out a bunch of those games. So, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Um, 
And then deliberately the next season, they finally go get a quarterback. They drafted Jared Goff. Well, you know, that that one didn't work out, but um, they eventually uh, uh, rectified that. But yeah, it was that it was the blatant tanking for years and the fact that like the NFL and and all the other owners clearly were facilitating and wanting this to happen um, with the exception of the one all right, Jack. I'm going to sneak up behind him with the net and you get the lasso. And as soon as you get that trank gun ready, we'll take about an hour long break and we'll be ready to go with the podcast. I, I, I but, texted you. We need three more guys. I don't think we can take him. I'll cut to the, I'll cut to the bottom line with this where I was going with this. The, the monkey's paw situation is even after relocating, one of my complaints is like, I just wish that the rest of the country viewed the Rams organization as being the villains that they really should be. Well, now that now they are, especially because of the bullshit way that they won, and uh, I just wish it didn't have to come to that. So everyone hates them now, but also they they uh, they did what they set out to do. So that's really too bad. Um, props think- to the props to the Bengals. They were my bandwagon team for the playoffs. Um, they just couldn't do one more favor for me, but I I appreciate what they did anyway. They couldn't go Honestly, to their star running back I, uh... on fourth and one. Crazy. Ah! Ah! Don't even. I'll, I'm I'm calm, I'm calm. Let me clarify that. But Pete, goddamn Carol. But I I am going to just say my take. The handoff to Samaje Pirine, yeah. their second string, third down receiving back, on oh. third and one. In that situation, was every bit as bad of a call as the infamous Pete Carroll goal line pass play. That that fucked over the Seahawks' chances uh, to win the Super Bowl against the Patriots. That's all I'm going to say. They'll never see it because it's so fucking stupid. I, I've long said that was not quite as bad of a call as everyone said because had yeah, they no, it, had they it executed works, you're it, a genius. well, they had a few downs. Had they executed it right, which is that if there's someone even close to your receiver there in that formation, you just throw it away. But they fucked that up, and also Malcolm Butler made an amazing play, and then it was a huge uh, free agent bust with Tennessee, but. I digress. Yeah. We'll get off of football because I yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've already seen what we've done. God, what is it? That killed Is it like is it Thursday now? <laughs> How much time just passed? Um no. uh, I've got several texts from Pookie. We missed D. He's pissed. <laughs> but uh no. So are, so our other co host is uh Jack John. Uh he knows all about NFL disappointment. because uh, he's coming to us from Indianapolis. Jack, how are you? I'm great. Anytime that I can egg on Alex just a little bit, my day gets infinitely better. If it doesn't take much, with the right amount of knowledge and just a little bit of prodding in exact spots, you can you can get Alex going for a good while and you just sit back and watch it. The thing is, like, with a lot of topics, probably most topics, I'm pretty pretty even keel. But the ones that piss me off really piss me off. And that's one of them. Uh the the 2013 film now you see me as we've established is another one uh, i've made my piece on that um but i'll tell you, you uh don't give me don't don't do it um something else that usually pisses me off is february uh worst month of the calendar year um followed very yeah, closely sucks. by august which is shit february is the worst far and away though late winter sucks um, so you always look for the things that, um, you know, can cheer you up in, in the month of February. And 
one of the nice things about this particular February is um, maybe my among my favorite film and TV franchises of all time, Jackass, um, dropped a new movie. I have not seen it yet. Um, I definitely plan on seeing it in theaters while it's still running. Um, it's you know a very meaningful franchise to me. Um, I know both of you are fans as well, so kind of wanted to go around the horn and talk about what are our what are our favorite Jackass skits, moments, memories involved with Jackass. What are the two you got? So, for me, I had seen a little bit of the TV show, but I remember the first time that I saw mm. the first movie. Mm-hmm. I would have been about 13 or 14, so right about target audience. And I think it was the alligator tightrope where was, I went, Steve, oh, yeah. okay, they're actually putting them in situations where somebody might die. Okay. This just whole new level of respect for you know because i'm an idiot just like anyone else and i i like doing stupid dangerous things sometimes but i typically don't uh go to that go to that extent with it so you know major major respect from one village idiot to uh to a bunch of others so the i remember the first time either of us saw anything jackass related i almost feel like i've I've told this story in a podcast before but I'll, i'll tell it again um the first time we watched it, I don't remember how old we were. We we weren't old enough to be watching Jackass. I know that. I feel like like maybe you were 12 and I was 10 or something like that. Something and, like that. And we were at our family's, my mom's big family's Christmas. And my mom's family is a ton of fun. Um, all have uh, really gross senses of humor. <laughs> um, and our, our cousin Amber, who would have been... I think in high school around that time. I, I think it was her she guy. Was, I th- she would have been, yeah, she would have been like 15 because she's, I think, three years older than me. Yeah. So um, I think it was her. It was either her or one of our other cousins got um, the Jackass box set for Christmas and thought it'd be funny uh, to put it on for my mom's family to watch. And of course, like, that's right in their wheelhouse. But the, the part that I remember in particular, like, I loved it instantly. Um, and then later when we got Dish and M- had MTV2. And uh, I realized I can just watch Jackass because it ran all the time. I was so thrilled. But um, the part I remember in particular is a lot of our mom's family are farmers. And we watched the episode um, where Johnny Knoxville went to the farm in Pennsylvania and helped inseminate a cow. And uh, our our farmer uncles were sitting there like critiquing him like, oh, he's not doing that right at all. It was so, but they all thought it was hilarious. Other than, yeah, they were they were very displeased by his form in helping to inseminate the cow, in that bit. Um, you know, you re- mentioned MTV too, and I remember summers in high school when you know the few like month or two where we didn't really have anything to do. I remember just sitting and watching Viva La Bam for like twelve oh, hours yeah. straight, <clears throat> and I was just just amazed at the the sheer the sheer joyous stupidity oh yeah because obviously after the the show um there were two spinoff shows there's that and there's wild boys i i have this is not one of my my prouder admissions but i do have the entire series of evil of bam on dvd all five Ooh. seasons i have gone back and watched so them jealous um there were some episodes that really stunk i'm not gonna lie it wasn't all yeah. good, especially towards the end. But that the stuff that was funny was really, really yeah. good. Like the one where they do the big, uh, the big scavenger hunt. 
Uh-huh. Yes. With, and they they brought in uh, the Bloodhound Gang. That was, I mean, yeah. just classic, where they do the State of Bam. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So you get the one where uh, Ryan Dunn takes uh, a table saw to Bam's, I think, Lambo or something, and just yeah. chops it all the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually... Um, I, uh... The the ones that didn't age well uh, to me are the very Don Vito centric ones. Oh, yeah, given that he's in, he died. Did he? I know he went to prison, but then yeah, he died dead. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's dead. Um, I'd heard this legend, and I confirmed that it was true. Speaking of things aging weirdly, there's an audio commentary for one of them. Um, I went and listened through all of them to see if I could find this, and I did. Um, where it was Bam. And his parents, and um, I think Tim Glom, and I can't remember who else, but but Dunn wasn't there for this one. Um, and they talked about Dunn's bad tendency for wrecking cars. And they actually predicted, oh. I think Tim Glom was like, he's going to die in a car accident in the next few years. And they all agreed. And then, he, and then he did. Um, so uh, that one aged, well, that mean- one aged weirdly. <laughs> Yeah, the the accident report said he was going something like 115 miles an hour, and also his blood BAC was half the or twice the legal limit. So yeah, that, that's his BAC that, was also 115 miles an hour. That's something that's yeah. That's, his that's something here's, that's, here's that's, my PSA: Don't drive 115 miles an hour if you've uh, drank enough that your BAC is is twice the legal limit. Just wow. don't do it. If only you could have spoken with Henry Ruggs. Um, yeah. So still. So on Steve-O's podcast, which is which is a lot of fun, especially any episode where he brings in a former Jackass cast member. I can't remember who he was talking to, but he he mentioned that it was kind of a secret thing, but that that um, and this is back before he had gotten clean too. Um, he mentioned that he was pretty sure Dunn was an alcoholic, uh, kind of towards the end. Um, oh, I I think um, I think. Pretty much that entire crew, like the mostly the the Bam Westchester crew, I think pretty much all of them were because like if you watch the show, they were all drinking constantly. What yeah. a couple and of them obviously have, we know yeah. what's we, we know what's happened to Bam. <laughs> yeah, Bam's still not okay. Dunn's dead. A couple of them have gotten sober, like Chris Rab and Brandon Novak have both gotten sober now. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I would have bet you almost anything in the world against Novak ever getting clean because he was like even of that crew he was the guy he, who he was the worst had of the, the worst yeah problem yeah um, but yeah Chris Rabb is apparently doing very well um, he's uh, and I read an interview with him recently and he's you know sounds really clear headed and and very remarkably intelligent for the role he played on TV so <laughs> sounds like he's he's doing great anyway. The most underrated of that crew was Brandon DiCamillo. Fucking hilarious. And Johnny Knoxville has even Dico, said yeah. they actually wanted to get him more involved, like especially when the movies started. But he hates flying. Like he's afraid of flying, so he didn't want to fly out to L.A. That was the only reason he didn't get like more like absorbed into the main cast. Um, Jack, what are, one what thing are, that I noticed? Go ahead, Cody. One thing that I noticed, um, even back when I was younger and recently. I just saw, I have not listened to a full episode of Steve-O's podcast. I need to start. But um, I saw a clip of the one where he had Aaron McGeehee on. Mm-hmm. And they actually talked about this. Aaron always, whatever they were doing, Aaron seemed to get it worse than yeah. anybody else. Yeah. 
And part of and it is, he was like, yeah, part he, of it he says, like, he I'm like, really annoying, that's part of it, but also he became, like, yeah. a punching bag. Yeah, he's like, I, I, I was annoying enough to the point where they, they basically just started bullying me. <laughs> like, they yeah. just started doing whatever, but he's like, he's like, I deserved it, but I... I, I noticed that back then, and I was glad to see it. the the taxi driver skit at the end of the second movie was maybe the biggest own they've ever had on one of their own guys. That it's just a truly legendary piece of film. Yeah, I think. I mean, looking back, go ahead. Because he literally thought like they made him think he was going to die. <laughs> like he he was sure he was either going to die or go to prison. <laughs> oh, and then just as an afterthought, you have all of our pubes on your face. <laughs> like that's... The the biggest gamble they took was that he wasn't going to recognize Jay Chandra's C car. That was an incredible stroke yeah. of luck. <laughs> He's a pretty well known actor. Um, if he'd had a mustache, I bet he would have. Bet from, he would have caught it immediately. From what I've heard, and again, I haven't seen it yet, though. I've heard Aaron is the MVP of the new movie. I've heard he goes harder than anybody else, which is which is kind of cool. Um, I've, I've seen like the promos that they put out and like with a lot of them they'll put out like whole clips from like part of it yep. and from what I've seen it's fucking hilarious yeah I was really you know, not sure when I heard they are going to do a new one but uh, from what everyone says it's it's phenomenal I'm, I'm also hearing really good things about the new cast members which yeah. I was yeah. a little skeptical on when they said they were going to bring some new blood in but apparently not only are they willing to go as hard as the OGs did but Apparently they mesh pretty well too. Like they yeah. they've got the right kind of sense of humor and presence, and that's that was one of my main concerns. So I'm right. I've got high hopes for this one. We'll put it I, that way. I figured Jasper Dolphin was going to be good because Jasper like I it's so fucking awesome. Yeah, and he was like, great on Loiter Squad. Yeah, because yes. they, they they did some like public stunts and shit on Loiter Squad, and he was always good. Um, Jack John, what are some of your favorite um, skits or memories yeah. from from Jackass? I wasn't always like super big in like the gross out humor. Um, that said, I do love when they launch Stevo in a porta potty like it was a bungee jump. Yeah, and he just yeah. gets doused in like a shit storm, literally. Yeah, that second movie was really yeah. I, it was it was a goldmine for ideas. Right. Um. Yeah, I think um, another one of those moments where from the same movie where I was like, okay, these guys are really yeah. like. <laughs> they they do not care if one of them might die. Was the uh, anaconda ball pit? Yes. Yeah. Which anything they do with animals, I love because they yeah. they genuinely love animals is another right. thing that that comes across. And yeah. but the fact that they, I, I mean, of course Knoxville's going in there, right? But they didn't use Pontius or Stevo or one of the other like animal guys. They sent fucking Wee Man in there. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the the um, the porta potty the the poo cocktail supreme was yeah. was the third movie, but another animal one that was really gnarly that Stevo did in the second was when he put the hook through his cheek, and they cast oh, him out with God. the sharks. I mean, just a human horrible shark bit. Yeah. Um, just yeah, the se- that was kind of the tone of the second movie. Was that was like the gnarliest, most raw, yeah. intense of them. Um, 3D was a little more like uh, lighthearted, but um, yeah. everything else was just I think done so well. Every, with really, the Phantom camera was just brilliant, brilliant addition. Yeah, they really leaned on the 3D aspect of it, yeah. and I think because of that, they made it a little more cartoony because they were focused more on what's this going to look like yeah. than just surely the concept of this is going to fuck with people. 
I remember in that that sketch Alex was just talking about with the sharks. Not only does he put the fish hook through his entire cheek, but like one of those sharks got so close it kicked him in the face. Like <laughs> this is, yeah, it, it was gnarly. Speaking to the cartooniness, I think High Five might be my favorite like, oh, skit of all time. Perfect. Where they just have the <laughs> giant fucking Looney Tunes hand, and they cock it back and just fucking slap people in the face with it. Well, they've talked about, like, <clears throat> Johnny Knoxville in particular draws a lot of inspiration from, one, Buster Keaton, but also, like, Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner and old cartoons yeah. like that. And so that's where a lot of this stuff comes mm-hmm. from. And it, I think the making of the third movie they talked about he was sending out emails to where the thing that he wanted to do most of all is like in in Bugs Bunny cartoons when you have a, a portable hole and you yeah, toss it in front of somebody and makes it fall. This. Yeah. And he like obviously that's not possible, but he was like so convinced that that they could find a way to do it. And they they never <laughs> they never did, but they they did say like if anybody could figure out how to actually do this, it would probably be Johnny Knoxville. I, yeah, I'll still I, say I also I also have wanted that for a very long time. <laughs> I'll still say my my favorite um in theater movie watching experience was Jackass 3D. Um hard I don't know that that's ever going to be topped. It was just between the time it was in my life and how great it was, packed theaters like opening night, all of my buddies just an an amazing time. Um what I it's hard to pick one of my favorites. I'll tell you what one of my one that I think is really underrated in park is not a ton of people have seen it because it wasn't allowed to make air. They, they did it. They redid a different version of it that wound up uh, on the show. But one that, that wound up being too hot for TV was the vomlet with Dave England. Uh, oh, and and the version I'm thinking of, you can find it on YouTube and I, it kills me every time. It's very Jack, you would hate it because it's very much in the gross out <laughs> vein. But the kind they're in they're staying in that hotel in Florida they always stay in that just gets absolutely destroyed. I don't know why they let them come back. <laughs> but they're in yeah. one of the rooms and they've set up a table with a bunch of omelet ingredients and a little hot plate. And the conceit of it is that Dave England um, he's presenting it as if it's like a, a like a cooking show. Um, and so he's reading everything like a cooking show and he's just eating all the ingredients, including like having to like chug raw eggs. Oh. And the conceit is that he's gonna throw it all up, put it into the hot plate and make an omelet that he and, uh, turns out, Steve-O are going to eat. There's all kinds of problems, logistical problems, making it work. Um, like, he's having to drink so much milk, because otherwise it's just all dry. And finally, he gets a version um, <laughs> that he that they eat. And it's just, there's a moment that I feel was like a, a zenith of our culture, where which is <laughs> Steve-O tries, of course he throws up. Like, he didn't even get it down. He throws up instantly. And him and... And Dave England are just tr- going back and forth, just puking on each other. <laughs> it's like, this is a low point in culture, but it's so funny. There's like Johnny Knoxville's comment, running commentary in the background is incredibly good. I may have to post the link uh, on the Twitter because it's like, I've probably watched it dozens of times. Um, so I highly re- recommend checking out The Vomlet on YouTube. Um, so yeah, that's... That's Jackass. I'm pretty excited to go see it. Um, I've heard good things. I'm definitely going to see it in theater because um, the whole experience is just different. Also, like I, I saw a movie in theaters last month for the first time since well before the pandemic started, and I'd forgotten just how cool it is. So, um, um, yeah, I'm just I'm looking for any chance to do more of that. Frankly, um, whenever the new 
whenever the new Batman drops, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but I'm probably going to go see that too. I've heard good things. I've heard not great things. I'm going to see it though. I mean, it just, it doesn't matter. I'm going to withhold judgment until I've actually seen it. Cause I'm going to have to. Right. Right. So yeah. Um, before we get any further and speaking of cooking shows that are not disgusting, <laughs> I did want to give for the second week in a row, what a segue. Uh, uh, shout out to our friend Daryl, um, who we talked about before on here, a good friend of ours from college. Um, he just dropped a new, uh, not cooking necessarily, but a new uh, food channel um, where he does mukbangs. He eats food and talks about them. Eat with DT. You can find him on Instagram at that address as well. Um, I actually watched some videos um, that he put out over the weekend, and they were great. They're very. If you're looking for a very soothing watch, Daryl's food videos are gonna be right up your alley he uh you know he he a lot it seems like a lot of people who do that kind of video like fly off the handle and are really annoying daryl's not that way at all um he the commentary is very good very mellow and just very very enjoyable so um if you haven't yet he's putting out videos pretty regularly definitely check out daryl's uh uh food review channel eat with dt so yeah daryl if you're if you're listening you should really send that to whoever produces the great british bake-off because as far as soothing food things that's a huge deal right now and (laughs) i i I think you could make it i i i think it's i think it's that good i can't wait for the day that daryl's on pbs (laughs) (laughs) oh he does this one where he gets um all this these huge like heaping containers of fried fish and chicken and uh, it, the food looks incredible too. I'll say he sometimes he does food that he gets like delivery or carry out. Some of it's sometimes it's food he makes, and he's a very good cook. So um, yeah, they're great either way. Definitely go check that out. So yeah, as much as we love talking about Jackass and the the further uh, um, projects of our friend Daryl, um, actually you know what? Fuck, it. I'm gonna give another shout out. Uh, we've done this one before, but uh, our buddy Mitch. Um, I want to remind everyone he oh, has a yeah. former former uh, guest host Mitch uh, still yes. doing his uh, Twitch stream, Mitch the Peach. So um, if you haven't done that yet, make sure to check that out as well. I feel like we hadn't mentioned also Mitch in a while. Also keep your for... eyes out for. Yeah, also keep your eyes out for um, a podcast Mitch is planning on doing in the near future. Here, I haven't talked to him a little while about um, what the progress is of that, but um, hopefully fairly shortly he'll be getting that up and running. So just kind of keep your eyes on his socials and Twitch. And hear all about it when it's ready to go. That's right. Absolutely. So as nice as it is to uh, give props to all our friends for the cool stuff that they're doing. um, And, uh, you know, as much as it would probably be better if that's what we're here to do. That's not what we're here to do. (laughs) We're here to talk about some guys. Um, And so, uh, well, let's just get right into it. Jack, can you you take us away, please? Yeah, I think I remember it. It's uh, the guys... I feel like there are several, Beautiful. pretty much every Jackass cast member we could probably make a topic on this show if we really wanted oh, to. Oh, God. Um, I feel like a lot of their their stuff is overexposed, like as far as a podcast episode. I don't know that we could <laughs> yeah. do anything that's not already been recorded and available on YouTube. So for our, our first topic, we're going to turn to Jack, and this is... Um, a character from history that most people are familiar with, but um, we don't hear a lot about the full story of. So um, without any further ado, let's get into it. Um, Jack, who's your guy this week? Yeah, I have Robert uh, Wadlow, better known as uh, the tallest man that ever lived. That's right. And honestly, I watched a great documentary called The Story of Robert Wadlow 
Uh, it's a fantastic little watch. Uh, definitely search that out if you can. It's where I get a lot of the information from that I was able to find a lot of like local source information and interviewing people that grew up with him. Yeah. It was super, super awesome and insightful. Um, he was born February 22nd, 1918, just coming up on his birthday here. Um, when he was born, the attending physician uh, that helped birth him uh, said that he was a perfectly normal and healthy eight-pound baby and was expected to be a fully functioning regular adult. Did uh, the, does the doctor, like, did, did they lose their license after this? <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever missed that, on a prediction that badly. Was that doctor's name Nick Riviera? Yeah. Hi, everybody. everybody. <laughs> um, this was quickly found to be wildly inaccurate as at just six months old, uh, Robert had already grown to be a 30-pound baby. Oh, boy. And yes. I was able to find a table, and we'll, I'll go over like some of like his drastic uh, like height changes throughout his life, but I've got a couple noted here. Uh, by the age of five, he was five foot one inches as a five-year-old. That's pretty tall. It's a pretty big five-year-old. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. He he grew rapidly, and um, it's also funny just like talking about it, because he was basically just like a normal kid. His size didn't really impact how he lived. His neighbors like remembered seeing him running a lemonade stand, which just is hilarious to me. Picturing like a five foot six person running yeah, a lemonade a, stand, a, a kindergartner the size of Spud Webb running a, a lemon stand, lemonade stand. Yeah. See, yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but imagine seeing a five foot five year old. Is that not the most terrifying thing you oh, can yeah. imagine? Oh, the- that that is. I would have nightmares about that till the day I died. The scariest thing from my childhood was the big ass fucking baby from Rugrats. Like that's that's a real fear. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah like you know, because five year olds are terrifying as it is. Um, yes, but one that yeah, could. But you not one that could. I'm not saying one the size of a thirteen year old. Right. I, I, one that I'm not saying could take me in a fight, but could hold their own for a, a couple minutes maybe <laughs> that's horrible to think about because they have like demonic energy as it is right they don't need size that's the only thing we have mm-hmm. against them yeah but it's a, it's a five-year-old with a reach that's that's what you got to worry about yeah not pleasant uh but again his like his neighbors said that he was like a, just like a normal like uh very outgoing kid one of his neighbors uh saw what they thought was a grown man uh, pushing himself in a wagon, like a little like pole wagon, and she went to go grab her mom, and then the mom came out and was like, "I think I think that's a kid," and then there was like, "Oh, we have new neighbors, don't we?" And it ended up being uh, Robert, and just um, he quickly became acclimated. Everyone seemed to have nothing but great things to say about him. All told, that that is a, a that that is a hazard of being a uh, an adult sized. <laughs> Uh, young child that I hadn't considered. People who don't see you from the right angle, there's probably going to be a lot of uh, police being called at this <laughs> at this pedophile see, hanging out with all these children. And it turns out it's just, just another children. I just want to say, first of all, if you see a grown man pushing himself in a wagon, mind your own fucking business. Yeah. Okay? As long as he's Let not be. hurting anybody. Because you know what? I hadn't considered that, but it sounds yeah. kind of fun. So. Look. The state law says motorized vehicle. There's not a motor in this wagon. I can be in it if I want. <laughs> and be as drunk as I want to. <laughs> so before we get any further, Jack, have you mentioned uh, where Robert Wadlow grew up yet? Oh, I did not. I am so sorry. So Robert was born in Alton, Illinois. That's right. Oh, um, yeah. Cody and I, uh, we grew up about, um, 
what like a half hour north maybe not even maybe not even quite 40 minutes also also the the home of um as we mentioned several times friend of the podcast mason um was over i was over in alton uh, hanging out at his house on new year's eve nice little town and what what we found and and i don't know if you want to go ahead and get into the anecdotes yet um um actually let's wait until later we'll we'll get into the anecdotes later um but really it's it seemed like even though he was massively larger than everyone at his young age, like he was still treated as a kid. He still acted like a kid and the, the community and the neighborhood still embraced him as a kid. They didn't like make him ever feel like different or like freakish. He was just a really fucking tall child. And that's honestly hoping... what's so amazing about this story. I'm hoping they didn't literally embrace him. Cause someone's going to get a rib broken. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a uh, a professional boxer that came to St. Louis uh, when Robert was twelve, and uh, fight a twelve year old. Yeah, he he. I, I I forgot to write down his name, so I apologize for that. But this boxer was essentially like the tallest heavyweight that had ever been at that point, and he was six five. And they had invited him in to be like, hey, like we got this uh this twelve year old who wants to, wants to meet you. We're gonna get like a photo op with you and this twelve year old. And the boxer was like, yeah, sure, like, it's a fucking 12-year-old. What do I have to worry about? Um, at that point, the 6'5 boxer uh, was the smaller of the two gentlemen, as Robert was already 6'9 by that point. And uh, was notably embarrassed at being smaller than a child. <laughs> I mean, I feel like... I, I don't see why the boxer gets to be embarrassed there, because, like... <laughs> Yes, you're smaller than a child. Also, this is a six foot nine inch child. Like <laughs> that—that that is a good. It's also a twelve year old that's noticeably bigger than you. That is a good good prank setting someone up like that when they can't get out. It reminds me a bit of a different tone, a little bit of a story about the Iron Sheik, um, where back in like the '90s or 2000s, he was going on some tour and uh, he didn't know who Beetlejuice was, like from the Howard Stern <laughs> show, and so. Since Beetlejuice had some involvement in the wrestling world, um, as a as a prank, they they booked them to room together, and Iron Sheik was like, "Well, whatever." And apparently, he just like didn't shut up and like piss and shit all over the room and tore stuff up and drove the Iron Sheik insane. Yeah, because by, by that point, you know, it's too late to back out. So, right. So, uh, if you're wondering medically um, why this child is so large, it ends up being uh, due. Uh, basically to an overactive pituitary gland, and uh, his parents had it checked out um, when he was a kid, but they ended up deciding against surgery at the time um, because basically there was no physical or mental like limitations like affecting him. He was still a seemingly above-average intelligent child. He wasn't really feeling any aches or pains. Uh-huh. And at that point, this is still the, you know, relatively early 1900s, uh, surgery was still pretty risky, and at that point it wasn't necessarily worth the risk them to do necessarily an invasive procedure like that so they just they just let it go and yeah especially in your pituitary gland yeah there's some important (laughs) stuff right around there i mean just open the head up a little bit do some scraping it's cool but yeah basically they were just like there's there's no need to do this you're not in any pain and you have normal mental function like you are perfectly fine you're just gonna be super fucking tall um he ended up, um, as many people ask tall people, if he would play sports. And he really did want to play sports. He wanted to play football. He wanted to play basketball. And he loved baseball. 
Um, but when it came to high school sports, the athletic director in his high school was less than ready to put him out on a court, especially in basketball. One, they had mentioned that they couldn't get shoes big enough to fit him. Oh, jeez. And we'll talk about his shoe size later. But basically, the athletic director was like, yeah, it would take a full year for us to get him new shoes. And by that time, the season would be over and he wouldn't fit them anyway. He's a seven and a half foot tall, 15 year old. Put him out there with potato sacks on his feet. <laughs> yeah, who gives a shit? Okay. Just have him stand there. He's going to put up four and 20. It's going to be great. It'll, it'll be fine. Uh, but also the, the athletic director noted he was just afraid that he would get hurt and like fall over and basically just like get knocked down. And, you know, when you're that big, falling hurts a lot more. And they were just yeah. kind of worried. He was not necessarily like he was large, but he was still relatively slender for his size. Yeah, he was he was a, a slim guy. If you've ever seen pictures of him, he was yeah, kind of right. lanky. He's built like slender man. Tall and thin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just put him out you don't even you don't even have to have him play on offense yeah he, he, he's all, gonna time fucking paint he's gonna do you see the line that troy brown for uh the bulls put up the other night where he had 12 rebounds and no other stats that's the kind of, that's <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of lines that wadlow would be putting up oh and and fucking 100 blocks he would just yeah. block everything yeah. Um, but it was noted in his high school yearbook that he was a member of the german club the stamp club Active in the senior play and part of the yearbook. So he at least got to be active in other uh, clubs around high school. I am dying to know, A, what plays he was featured in, and B, what roles. Can you imagine him being like a... If they did, like, let's say, 12 Angry Men, which juror do you think he would be? He's the fucking table. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was like, he's the tree in the background. Like, you don't need a props department. Just put some foliage in his yeah, hands, and he's the tree. You, you can't yeah, you can't make him the, the Fonda role because he's going to be like, I think we need to talk about this. And everyone else is just going to, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> he's not, you want to say he's not guilty? He's not guilty. That's fine. Just, <laughs> just don't eat me. Uh, and it was also said uh, in the documentary that I watched, it took 14 square yards of cloth to make his cap and gown for his high school graduation. Jesus. Wow. This is where I'll, I'll interject with my anecdote. Um, growing up where we grew up, you would it would be pretty frequent that you'd hear a story of like someone who had like a family member who had met Robert Wadlow or had some kind of an in, encounter with Robert Wadlow. I mean, there was almost like a little cottage industry set up just to accommodate his clothing needs. Um, my best friend growing up, Logan, um, claimed that like either like his grandma or his great aunt uh, tailored a pair of pants for him one time, um, and I can't imagine how much time and effort that, that would take. God. <laughs> well, yeah, we lost our two best bed sheets. But, uh, <laughs> she was thirteen when she started the... these pants, and well, now <laughs> she's got grandkids. Um, so uh, basically, after high school, he ends up. Um, uh, trying to go to college, he ends up uh, end up going to a local college there. He ended up wanting to go to law school. Uh, but unfortunately, after a year of trying to move around campus, and it said in the, in the, uh, in the documentary that uh, going through the Midwest winters, he would slip on ice and fall uh, oh, going around campus. Oh, oh, oh poor which, guy. if you're a normal-sized person, fucking hurts and makes you reconsider college. Like, um, yeah. 
I can't. First of all, law school is a very mean environment. Law students are yeah. fucking mean, and <laughs> so being that tall and that awkward, I can't imagine. But as my perspective is now a practicing lawyer, if I had to go up against a guy who is eight feet tall in a trial, I don't even know what the fuck I would do. <laughs> like you can't, you you can't, you could not make a jury pay attention to you. I'd have to walk in wearing the stupidest fucking outfit I could think of just to even get the the least bit of attention on me. Just dressed like a clown. Yeah. Full makeup and everything. In the documentary I watched, one of his teachers was like, I was student teaching in the high school, and I taught his class one day. I don't remember what the fuck I was teaching. I just like stared at his shoes the whole time, and she was like, I watched him use a normal-sized pencil in his big fucking hands, and she was like, I couldn't focus on anything else. I bet that was great for his self-esteem as a high school kid. <laughs> well, like, just the teachers staring at you the whole time. Meeting someone who's that tall really is an interesting experience. Yeah. Our one of our cousins um, briefly had a uh, I don't remember if they were actually they had like kind of a will they won't they sort of relationship thing going on um, a few years ago, um, where the guy he was uh, from our town. We actually uh, his dad was our science teacher. Um, but the kid, he was seven, a lot of his basketball games. Yeah. yeah, he was seven feet tall, and he came to a family thing once, and it just standing next to him, like, dude, <laughs> you, you're so fucking, <laughs> you're so fucking tall, yeah. dude. What the hell? Here's, and here's he, a, you don't know, say it. Don't say it. He, don't say it. He was like, he's like the <laughs> nicest, sweetest kid too. Like, what yeah, do you even to say his, to him? To his credit, to his credit, took it like an absolute. Oh uh, yeah, he had and, a sense yeah, of humor. Very about nice it. dude, and. Yeah, you basically become Austin Powers in Goldmember with the uh, the guy with the mole. Oh. You just you can't you just can't stop. Fucking moly. <laughs> uh, so after after that, he uh, ends up trying to go on a tour uh, with the Ringling Brothers Circus in 1936. Uh, he ended up appearing in Madison Square Garden uh, as well as essentially being a part of the main <laughs> stage for the circus. As a supporting beam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he held the tent up. Uh, but no, basically, uh, it, it was noted in what I saw. that He was never a part of like the side stage or like the uh, the oddities part. He was prominently featured. Uh, but he didn't really like being a part of the circus. In fact, the documentary that I watched made no mention of it, uh, which makes me think that he probably kind of actually hated it. Because basically, they wanted to treat him like a freak. And his entire life, he was just a normal kid, and he was leading a completely normal life. There was nothing freakish about him other than that he was two and three feet taller than everybody else around him. Yeah, so when you say he appeared at Madison Square Garden, did they just bring him out on the stage and, like, here he is? I mean, that's basically what circuses were back then. It was just like, look at this really tall dude. Holy shit, this girl's got a beard. Thanks for giving me 50 bucks. Yeah, and we (laughs) we may talk more about the environment of the circus later on i do have i know yeah. at least one topic that we might get yeah. to very complicated yeah. I, places one, to work i've got I've uh, one that i've been kind of looking at um but yeah, it, yeah again you talk about a gold mine um you look up like old old school circuses back when a circus was a circus yeah. and you find some guys right it's also where wrestling started. Very, very fun time. Uh, early, early circuses and carnivals. No. <laughs> um, but basically, he just didn't like the environment. And after a very brief stint, he just left the circus. Um, 
and ended up wanting to just to be like a regular worker and like have ambitions as being just like a regular person like he'd had his entire life. He ends up working with a shoe company um, there in the area. Um, and basically what would happen is they would give him shoes to like, so he could have like actual shoes to wear. And he ended up being like a salesman and like working in advertising with this company. Nice. Uh, that was... is, that is a tough hurdle to get over as a salesman, I would think. Yeah. Because either that or it would help you immensely, depending on how timid the people you're selling to yeah. are. <laughs> because can you imagine like walking into, because my job involves some of this. Yep. I just can't imagine walking into a conference room for a meeting with somebody wearing a suit and tie that I'm trying to sell something to. And he is like a third of my size. <laughs> I just can't imagine how I would even handle that. Right. So he ended up uh, working for Peter Shoe Company of St. Louis. Uh, and like I said, they kind of used him almost as like an attraction to get people in the store. Uh, they would work out deals with other like like uh, shoe shops and like closing stores where basically they'd be like, hey, like we can have him in the store and like have people like come up to him while like they're shopping or like we can have him outside the store. But basically they would put one of his shoes on display in the store and just kind of be like, hey, we can make some really great shoes. Look at this big-ass shoe. Um, <laughs> he wore a size 37. Holy fuck. Jesus Christ. So, so it was like a shoe the size of some people's legs. There, yeah. There's a picture. But, like, let me, let me, actually, it's, as much as we gawk at that, it's probably good, right? It would be really fucked up if he had, like, if he wore, like, 11s, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't have been able to stand upright. It'd be like on chopsticks. <laughs> but so, so was the was the name of this what the store should have done was they should have done you know they should have cranked out more of these Robert Wadlow shoes and then changed the name of their store to Shoes and Canoes <laughs> and then selling the big shoes as canoes to regular sized people. Now that that's you know, some that's some million dollar idea. That's some Lord Timothy Dexter shit right there. <laughs> You know, honey, you told me that we had to make two stops to go get shoes and a turkey boat. But let me tell you what. I got I got the gravy boat for the turkey and the shoe in the same place. You'll never believe it. <laughs> you could probably fit a whole ass turkey just inside that shoe. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so basically like they're going turkey. the they're going around the country. It ends up being Robert, like uh usually like a couple of different salesmen he's working with, and his dad just kind of like going around um and just selling shoes. Um <laughs> And honestly, his old sales partners had really amazing things to say about him. One of them said basically that he was never angry. He was always like super happy and cheerful. Uh, they noted though that basically the only time they would ever see Robert get angry is when they would be like in a different town. And like, because of like how Robert was walking, like because it was kind of hard for him to walk sometimes, he would have like a hand on like the salesman's shoulder, like the other salesman's shoulder and a hand on his dad's shoulder. And when he kind of like used them as like walking braces almost. Um, what people would do is they would see our very, very large friend here, and they'd be like, he's clearly faking it. And they would go kick his legs to see if they were stilts. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just bought yourself a giant size ass whooping. You do that to me. God, can you imagine having to tell the story to your friends and family about the time you got your ass beat by a nine foot tall man for kicking his legs? Did, did you get run over by a car? Be like, Harold, 
we told you the drinking had to stop. Now is the <laughs> now is the time because you clearly have gone entirely off the deep end. Like imagine getting a size thirty seven boot up your own ass. No. No no no. <laughs> don't don't like that. Don't like that one bit. Uh I mean, it ended up um he ended up being one um of five children. All the other children completely normal sized, nothing abnormal or like large about them just regular sized siblings so their parents uh lucked out i guess in only having one large child a large adult son yes can you now if you're one of five siblings and you have one sibling who is eight feet tall how do you even feel about like are you pissed or are you are you are you relieved (laughs) He he said that like when one of his like younger brothers was growing up, he was like, "My little brother wants to be as big as me, and for his sake, I hope he isn't." Like, he was basically just like, "It'll be easier on you if you're not this large." Right. I mean, on one hand, you get yeah, famous, I, and the other hand, it's a tremendous burden. I'm sure. Yes. I I feel like they probably saw what he had to deal with, just you know, getting through day to day life, and were like, "Yeah, he can have that." I'll take six foot two or whatever. Yeah, I'll, I, like I'll, I'll park it there. Like I'm right. sure, I'm sure you two both experience the same thing. Like I find some difficulties at times just being six two. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. An extra like foot and ten inches just right. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just un, uncalled for. Yeah, at, at just over six foot, I already have spine and knee issues. I don't need any more. Thank you. I'm I'm perfectly yeah. fine with the amount of back pain I have. Um. But, like, all things sold, he led a pretty private life. There was one other really fun story. I guess it was, like, an attraction to get people, to like, to come to the stores that they were selling at and, like, advertising. They would put a silver dollar on the top of Robert's hat, and they would just ask if anyone could reach it. Now, I, did you I, get to keep the silver dollar if you could reach it? Yeah. But, like, no one ever could because, again, no one is seven foot five and can reach on the top of this man's head. See, now this is where Spud Webb would have really come yeah. in handy. How did they get the silver dollar up there to begin with? Did he put it up Robert there? Robert would just put it on his own head. Oh, so he was participating in this. Yes, he was participating, yeah. Because I'm imagining no, like I, a... I don't, think they, I don't think they just walked up to a guy they saw on the sidewalk, put a silver dollar on his hat, and was like, hey, this guy's part of this, this street game I'm playing now. Hope he doesn't that, get mad yeah. about that. Then it just turns into like the, like the Sims, like, do you find something amusing about my automobile? um unfortunately um for robert he had uh he braces on his legs um to walk and he recently like readjusted and got new braces uh right before one of his trips and uh had been noted noting that he wasn't feeling well uh during that trip he ended up uh, having that brace rubbing against his ankle and like caused like a sore and then an infection on his ankle Oh. But, like, due to how large his body was, he physically could not feel it. Uh, they estimated that he just didn't have nerve endings that reached his entire fucking foot. Jesus. Um, <laughs> he outgrew his so, own yeah. nervous system? Basically is what one of the, like, interviews that I listened to, like, they hypothesized, like, yeah, he probably just didn't have nerve endings in his foot. Good God. Although, I will say, for walking around at night without turning the light on, how great would that be? Stub your toe, no yeah, problem. Who gives a Step shit? Step on a Lego, who fucking cares? <laughs> they just kicked the whole bed. Didn't notice. The, the only problem being, you wake up one morning, you look down and like, you know, my toes are looking awfully like broken lately. <laughs> I wonder what's going on with that. Uh, 
unfortunately, this infection would have to lead to a surgery, and due to, like, he would need a blood transfusion, and unfortunately, due to the complications, he would eventually uh, die due to this injury, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, so, right? yeah, he needed a blood transfusion, and they couldn't find a person <laughs> who was willing to donate their entire blood supply. <laughs> it's just a body transfusion. They just put a whole person in there. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it really did suck how, up until not that long ago... An infection was basically a death sentence. Right. You know? And this yeah. um, was 1940. When oh, he I, uh, unfortunately died. Oh, the world was in a great place then. I don't know what yeah. we're talking about. Right. <laughs> uh, and it would only get better. Unfortunately, Robert would only live to be uh, about 22 and a half years old. Uh, at the time of Damn. his death, uh, right before he had died, he was officially uh, weighed and measured, uh, which is give, gives him the uh, official... Like recordable amount of how tall he is. There's another uh, person that claimed to have been nine three, uh, but they're uh, dead, and there's no official measurements of them. And they're pretty sure his bones only quotes measured to be about eight feet tall, um, mm. but uh, measured officially at eight foot eleven point one inches, four hundred and thirty nine pounds. That is uh, a lot. Yes, that is a, a lot of person for there to be. That's that's a that's a big boy. Yeah. And like some of his growth spurts were insane. Uh like going from uh age eight at age eight he was six feet tall. Um just going two years he was six five. Going two years from that he was seven foot. He was growing like three to six inches, like almost every year. Like he at thirteen he was seven four. Like imagine <laughs> playing middle school basketball. And there's just a seven foot four kid there. Well, I'd quit. <laughs> among other things, I, like I just I'm going home. Among all the other problems I bring, like just growing that fast, that had to hurt like shit. Oh god. Yeah. And because he was 22, they estimated due to like the like the activeness of his pituitary gland that he probably wasn't done growing. Mm. Uh, from age 21 to 22, he grew three inches. He was still growing at the time of his death. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but that's that is Robert Wadlow, uh, the incredible, wholesome upbringing of a larger than life person. Uh, and my question to you is: Robert always wanted to have like kind of like a normal job. And my big question to you guys is going to be: um, What job do you think you could reasonably have being eight foot eleven inches? And not like impact, like like what job do you think you could reasonably do at that size? I I I take my crack so of being a I take my crack of being a janitor. Like there, you know, there's nowhere you're not going to be able to reach, um, and you probably yeah. have less of a chance of children bullying you than most janitors. Um, <laughs> I think like if you're like seven feet tall, that they'll you know they'll respect you once you hit like. Eight feet, they might bully you, but once you hit, get like start pushing nine, like they're just going to be yeah. terrified of you. Yeah, I can't um, imagine the kids bullying the janitor who's cleaning like the chandeliers and like like spinning fans, flat footed, just yeah. like looking them in the eye. <laughs> okay, so um, well, number one choice obviously is Butler for the Adams family, but uh, since that's fictional, I think we can move that move that one uh, out the door you know kind of in a similar vein to alex I i'm gonna try and put this to some kind of use 
So I'm going to be a lifeguard. Mm -hmm. And instead of having to dive in the pool and save anybody, I'm just going to like stand next to the pool, reach in and pull them out of the bottom. Yeah. (laughs) Or just like stand in the pool, you know? Yeah. Or, or stand in the pool or yeah. Or the, or the Pacific ocean, whatever. If he's got to swim out to somebody, I mean, he he'd be there in three seconds, provided his form was decent. Like, I mean, how many strokes would it would it take? This guy's a human canoe. Yeah. There's there's the missed opportunity. This guy would have been a legendary Olympic swimmer. There you go. Uh, great answers. I feel like I would just end up like I wouldn't even have a job. I think I would just fuck with people. Like I would just <laughs> like tap people on the shoulder, like. 10 feet away and just be like, what wasn't me. You could work for jackass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Or like I would like oh, be in like launching people up in the imagine, air. Yeah. Can you imagine what Johnny Knoxville and company would do if oh they had someone in their crew who was nine feet tall? God. Just pairing him with Wee Man. Ah, comedy gold. Yeah. Um, before, Wait, um, Although Knoxville would probably be obsessed with the idea of trying the old sawing a woman in half trick, but trying to do it for real. <laughs> Try and somehow saw him in half and put it back together. Uh, before we move on from this topic, I did want to give a shout out to the old bakery beer company over in Alton. Um, very nice craft brewery. Um, we were actually at the uh, um, the grand opening because our dad's band uh, played at the grand opening. Um Next week, in order to commemorate the uh, what would be the 104th birthday of Robert Wadlow, they're, for the fourth year in a row, um, releasing uh, one of their spring seasonal brews that they call Gentle Giant, um, because that's what pretty much everybody described Robert Wadlow as. Very big guy, but just a very, very nice, sweet man. Um, it's so... a very mellow beer, but it's 24 ounces. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they'll have some, according to their Instagram posts, they'll also have... Uh, um, some commemorative glassware. It's a double IPA. Um, it's available in cans as well. So if you're uh, if you're in the area, swing by the brewery, or um, they might have it in some local supermarkets as well. So be sure to check that out. Oh yeah. All right. So good opening topic, Jack. Um, and so we started off this show talking about the very kind, sweet gentleman that is Robert Wadlow. And um, I'm up next. And for my guy this week, uh, we're going to be doing a bit of a 180 from that. Um, <clears throat> so you you drew uh well i guess actually you and i both have assholes this week we did a good counterbalance here actually <laughs> if if we had if i was going to do a complete 180 we would have planned it to where i would have been talking about giuseppe zangara this week giuseppe zangara, yeah. <laughs> yeah an incredible an incredibly tall lovely sweet man to the the pissiest little manlet to and ever exist yeah and and five feet of pure malice yeah, yeah. going from slender man to yosemite <laughs> sam i love it um, this guy, I actually don't know how tall he is, so he might carry some of the same energy, but, um, so as we've established before, this is very much not a true crime podcast. Um, in fact, as a, a as a public defender, I have some pretty, we'll just say complicated feelings about that genre as a whole, but that's, that's one of my other tangents, so I won't get off on it. Um, so with that said, anytime that we do talk about a murder or some other serious crime on here, it's, um... It's guaranteed there is something weird or goofy going on. Examples could be Ken McElroy from all the way back in episode one, um, Jimmy Scott in episode three, the flood guy. Um, my guy today 
is convicted murderer Benjamin Schreiber. Um, and I'll provide a slight spoiler here just to set everyone's expectations. Um, I'll describe the case itself uh, because there's some interesting things there, but the real fun will come later when we discuss one of his attempts at an appeal. So the story begins in a truly idyllic time and place, the year 1996 in Wapello County in rural southern Iowa. It's summer. On the radio, you could hear the sweet sounds of such classic albums as Beck's Odelay, The Spice Girls, Spice, and Tupac's All Eyes on Me. But perhaps for the tone of this particular story, the one from that summer that best fits the tone of what's going on is Sublime's self-titled. Oh boy. (laughs) All right. Can I I just express my um, skepticism that there was anybody in rural Iowa bumping Tupac's All Eyes (laughs) on Me? Because I fucking love that album, but I, I don't see it playing in rural Iowa. Probably not I, where these folks are from, no. I think this guy's got ambitions as a writer. I want to see, I want to see what this goes for him. Actually, what, and I will say, one of our regular listeners, our cousin Chad, is from not quite this particular area of Iowa, but not too far away. So I'll be interested to see if he ever gives some feedback about what this is. I know nothing. I know this is far south central enough in Iowa. It's basically Missouri, which this is a very Missouri uh, series of events that happens. So I'm not super surprised. I'm just... Just seeing some old farmer sitting out on his porch at four thirty in the morning, drinking his coffee, listening to his CD player. Like, you know what, Mister Shakur, I can picture you. <laughs> I can picture it real clearly. Um, Ben Schreiber, he's about as ordinary of a guy as it gets. He's living in a trailer park. He's good buddies with the park's owner, Chuck Denham. Um, he also, yes, Chuck, not spelled that way, but Chuck Denham is just a. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of looked at each other on the recording. Like, did we both just hear Chuck Denham? It, it, it's Why did spelled... we not do this before Jack John's big question last week? It's um last week when you asked about the secret agent code names. Yeah, it's yes. um it's spelled that didn't even dawn on me when I was writing it because I hadn't said it out loud. But it's spelled D E N H A M. But I mean, Chuck Denham is just a perfect sounds like perfect tra- sounds rural like Iowa Char- name. Sounds like a Charlie. Sounds like a Charlie Kelly alias. Yeah. It's that's redneck porn name. That's a redneck porn name. Um, <clears throat> so Ben, he also helped Chuck Denham out with uh, maintenance work around the trailer park, and like for a guy who owns a trailer park too, just perfect. Yeah. Apparently, he's he's a lot more. Hey, I, I I just I just got one here. How much denim would Chuck Denham <laughs> chuck if Chuck Denham could Chuck Denham? Very I'll good. Allow it. Um, apparently he's <laughs> a lot more, uh, benevolent of a, a trailer park owner as, uh, Mr. Leahy. Um, <laughs> he was good buddies with Ben. Um, Ben would, would do some work for him, um, helped him out with maintenance work around the park. They'd ride around and, and do odd jobs, um, which gave Ben easy access to a number of items, including notably a, a full tool shed. Maybe just something to keep in mind. <laughs> um, sounds dangerous. <laughs> Here's a list of things that convicted murderers should never be allowed near. A full tool shed, a wood chipper, a vat of acid, a gun, duh. And a very murderable anything else. And any any sharp objects. Um so the events all unfold pretty quickly in this story. It's July twenty sixth. Ben and Chuck are riding around the park in Ben's car getting some work done. Um, Ben tells his buddy he's been seeing this woman named Evelyn Tangy, that it was moving pretty quickly, and, uh, he wanted to look at some trailers in the park big enough that they could move in together. Chuck has some reserva- reserva- dream home. 
Chuck Denham, being the wise guy he is, uh, has some reservations about this. Uh, he says, first of all, Ben, you barely know this woman and you're already talking about moving in. That's not real smart. Two, Chuck Denham, he knew Evelyn and uh, he let Ben know she'd been dating this other guy named John Terry, who Chuck described as a, quote, a real asshole. And for 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 a guy as benevolent as Chuck Denham to say that, you know, you know, that's a man I whose judgment I trust to know who's an asshole and who's not. I'm just imagining him punctuating that by like taking like engine oil off his hands with like a dirty rag. You know what? Guy's an asshole. Who would win in a fight, Chuck Denham or Cabbage Henry? Chuck Denham. Chuck Denham all the Chuck way. Chuck Denham all the way. Cabbage, yeah. Hen- <clears throat> Cabbage Henry's got asthma and like. <laughs> Really thick glasses and always smells a little funny. Yeah, Chuck Denham's got his number for sure. Um, so the next day, July 27th, Ben and Chuck once again hanging out. And uh, Ben tells Chuck that uh, regarding this John Terry character, he and Evelyn had figured out what to do. Um, he had this plan where he said he and Evelyn and their friend uh, Mary Gerlick were going to invite uh, John over to Mary's house, get him really drunk, drive him to Des Moines and leave him there. <laughs> which you know in in rural Sounds midwest like, this is not an unheard of this is not an unheard of plan there's one particularly yeah in rural midwest in rural midwest that's how you get rid of your grandparents yeah this is 96 this isn't like the 1700s where he's not going to know how the fuck to get home My, just based on the lifestyles the lifestyles of all these people involved i mean it's not it's less Canadian than Trailer Park Boys, but like John Terry probably didn't have a car. Um, it seemed like that was kind of one of the things Ben had going for him was that he actually did have a car. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, where we grew up, the version of this would be you drive him over to Missouri across the river and just leave him there and hope that they couldn't find a bridge. Um, but yeah, they're going to take him to Des Moines, leave him there. Um, and um so that night, um, all the aforementioned parties did indeed hang out and uh, drink a bunch over at Mary's house. At some point in the evening, Ben, Evelyn, and John all leave in Ben's car. A little while later, Ben and Evelyn return to Mary's house. Um, Mary, I think, was not actually made abreast of, of any any of what the intentions were. Um, she was surprised to see them return without John. Um, and she starts asking him, uh, where's John? What happened to him? And they just, uh, ignore her every time she asks questions, <laughs> which is one suspicious thing. Another suspicious thing, um, in, uh, the legal world, this is what we call a bad fact. Um, both of them were wearing different clothes than they were wearing when they left. Ooh. Um, yeah. not, not, not good. Not good. <laughs> the next morning, July 28th, John Terry's dead body is found. He'd been bludgeoned to death and le- left out in the grass. So, that same day, <clears throat> Ben's neighbor, Karen Brown, gets some calls from a panic-sounding Evelyn. When Karen asks Ben what's going on, Ben says that uh, Evelyn's boyfriend, John, had been pushing her around, and so Ben had uh, beaten him up and added that John, quote, wouldn't be hurting anyone anymore. You know, kind of thing you, you just don't want to say. <laughs> That's my, yeah, my lawyer advice. Don't, yeah. don't ever say that about anybody. <laughs> yeah, it, even, even if they are demonstrably demonstrably yeah. alive and standing right next to you like yeah. still we've, we've mentioned on the podcast things you never say out loud in any context one of them was like i've got to take care of something like th- that's on the same lines of like hey that's actually probably the worst thing you could say ever or like yeah it's like in the godfather line uh like huh, you won't be hearing from him anymore 
Yeah. But and also like for what it's worth, I mean there there's enough accusations that John Terry was a drunk abusive piece of shit. That is probably true. Um yeah. for what it's worth. Um so that happens and simultaneous to that, a guy who lived down the road from where John's body was found called the cops because he found a bloody axe handle near his driveway. Um they take the the handle into evidence. The blood and the hair on the handle were tested and confirmed to be from John. So the next day, July 29th, Ben and Chuck are doing some work again, and word had gotten out that John was killed. And uh, they, I suspect, kind of nervously are joking around with each other. And Chuck's like, Haha, yeah, with, with you being the new boyfriend, you're probably going to be suspect number one. <laughs> and Ben responds like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I was with you all day Saturday. <laughs> and uh, so they have that weird conversation. And um oh. While all this is going on, the cops are going around. Um, they're trying to piece this story together. They're interviewing people um, uh, from the area. They talk to Mary. They talk to Evelyn. No charges are filed yet, but Ben can probably tell which way the wind's blowing here. Um, the cops, they come back to Mary's place to talk to her again. And I think there might have been maybe some other witnesses who may have been there. But this time, Ben is sitting is uh, there. He's sitting in the front yard. When the cops pull up, Ben gets up. He runs up to the cop car's. And starts telling his version of the story, saying shit like, "Oh yeah, John was—he was over here that night. He was—he was real drunk that night. He's always real drunk, you know." But here's where Ben had seriously miscalculated. See, when the cops had spoken to Evelyn and Mary the first time, not only had those two not given Ben up, they hadn't even spilled that Ben had been there at Mary's that night. Oh boy. Oh. And so, with everything um, that really set things in motion um and uh not long after ben schreiber was charged with the murder of john terry um he despite having a lawyer leading up to trial he was he's the type of defendant who loves filing shit pro se in other words like basically from jail writing and filing his own motions without his attorney knowing um as a defense attorney let me tell you it is uh just so so fun when that happens <laughs> and none of it was really, you know, that outrageous from what I could find. I mean, this is mainly just to set the stage for what's to come later. Um, <clears throat> August of 1997, Ben Schreiber is convicted of murder. He's sentenced to life in prison without parole, or LWOP, the prison term for it. Um, he attempts, at first, mainly just the usual post-conviction rights appeals, um, effectiveness of counsel. I will say this, there... I, I read the appellate opinion on this. Um, there were actually a couple of interesting issues at trial. I, d I don't know, you know, I don't know what he really could have done to, to beat this charge, but <clears throat> namely like the county coroner, apparently there was some issue like Iowa has a state law. You have to be a licensed uh, surgeon to be a uh, county coroner. And apparently the Wapello County coroner wasn't, was just like a regular medical doctor. And, um, Ben's attorney objected to the use of her testimony for this reason. Um, and they went into the judge's chambers, had a conference about it. And this is where his attorney fucked up. Apparently his attorney didn't ask for a record to be made of whatever this conference was. And so they just came back out um, and started allowing in the testimony anyway. So nobody knows what happened in that conversation. Um, Jesus. <laughs> also, apparently there was no, they didn't record or make a record of what was said in closing arguments. I think a huge fuck up. I don't know whether that's reversible error or not, but um but in any event, that wasn't enough. He didn't succeed uh, any of his PCR claims, the final of which was dismissed by the Iowa Court of Appeals in 2006. So we fast forward to March of 2015. 
Ben is still incarcerated, obviously. Um, you know, he doesn't have the possibility of parole ever. He's getting pretty old by now. He's in his mid-60s. And uh, unfortunately, he develops kidney stones, which are a horrible ailment. Um, I've been watching Deadwood lately, which, of course, um, had a uh, pretty graphic portrayal of a, a person uh, struggling with kidney stones. So that's uh, a little bit fresh on the mind. Also ask, uh, ask our dad about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he had it bad enough. He wound up being hospitalized over it. So, um, yeah. And prison, of course, obviously not a great environment to nurse a terrible health condition like this. So in March 2015, it gets to the point that he develops what's called septic poisoning. The simple but gruesome explanation for what this is, is that his kidney stones had gotten so large and so obstructive to the usual passage of urine, he is essentially urinating internally. Oh, like he's just pissing into his body. It's not coming out. Um, so that sucks, obviously. Um, yeah. And uh, as you may suspect, it's a potentially fatal condition. Um, but, you know, he's in excruciating pain, but, you know, they're not taking him to the hospital because it's fucking prison. So um, they don't know what's going on till finally, March 30th, Ben uh, falls unconscious and um, they do rush him to the hospital um, during this, this pretty terrible episode, his heart stops. And so he's legally, at that point, he's legally dead. The doctors bring him back through the use of an IV containing, um, epinephrine, which is apparently a medication through an IV can help revive someone and get the heart going back. It's, uh, it's, um, what they give you for, uh, allergic reactions to that. Yes. Epinephrine is what's in an EpiPen. Yeah. 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 So all in all, his, uh, heart actually stops a total of five times before he's finally stabilized. Um, so excellent work by these doctors and nurses. They should be commended. They saved his life. Once they stabilized him, they also performed emergency surgery to remove these kidney stones. And, uh, once he's all recovered, he's sent back to prison. And so that should be the end of it, right? Well, remember what podcast you're listening to here. <laughs> and also remember that, uh, Ben has a history of filing his own zany legal motions, um, while incarcerated. Yay. And so finally, keep in mind when you're serving a long prison sentence, you have a lot of free time to just sit around and hatch schemes. So in April 2018, Ben files a new motion in the Iowa Court of Appeals requesting post-conviction relief. The basis being that he was given a life sentence and he alleged his sentence has been served because he died during a septic poisoning episode. God damn <laughs> being brought back. This is, as you, you know, may... <laughs> To be fair, going through that in prison, probably about as much punishment as anybody as anybody could get without actually having to undergo life in prison. Well, there, like, that's probably the next best thing. So there's yeah. there's actually another entire separate reason why this sucked even more for him. A different legal issue he raised that um, the Court of Appeals didn't really address. We'll get to that later. Um, so as you may imagine, this is a completely novel legal argument hit <laughs> the to break it down he contends that he interprets that a life sentence means that it's a sentence that lasts until the point of death legal death and since his heart actually stopped five times he had served that sentence several times over um and yeah. as relief he requested his immediate release i mean why the fuck not first of all as, what do you have to lose chaos yeah. i'm here for this give argument. it a try um so the Court of Appeal reads this motion, um, and 
it's what's called a matter of first impression in appellate law, which means like this is the first time we're dealing with this particular issue. So there's no existing case law that's going to really guide us. We kind of have to, you know, analyze the merits and come to our own conclusion. So there are a couple different angles that the Court of Appeals could have taken to analyze it. Um, one would be to consider how this situation fits into the legal framework of life versus death. They don't pick this angle, which was wise of them. Um, a, it really isn't necessary in order to evaluate the merits of this particular claim. B, that subject is a fucking landmine. Um, I read a bunch about it. You could probably do an entire podcast, let alone episode, um, just on the challenges of the legal and bioethics fields to ascertain when someone should actually be considered completely dead. Um, the short, the shorter version of it, the abbreviated version for a long time, cardiorespiratory failure was the only basis uh, considered. You stop breathing, your heart stops beating, you're dead. Um, but in the sixties and seventies, a couple things happened simultaneously. Um, one was the advancement of the study of what they call brain death, where, you know, you, you can essentially keep going, um, like artificially through the use of a ventilator, but you're, um, the majority of your brain functions have stopped and, um, are right. not, are obviously not going to be coming back. Um, the other thing that happens is the advancement of organ transplant surgeries, meaning that two things were happening at the same time. One, we're beginning to understand more that there's this gray area about when someone's actually alive or not. Um, and also there was a, a, this huge increased need for more organs to become available to save people's lives. Um, Harvard put this panel together to reach a more concrete determination of how we handle this. It was mostly doctors, but also contained a couple like lawyers, ethicists, religious leaders. The conclusion they, they reached, the opinion that and they... And Billy Crystal's character from Princess Bride. Ha <laughs> It's like the second time in three or four weeks I've been able to make that exact same joke. <laughs> the conclusion they reached is basically that at a certain point of brain degradation, um, even if, if they could be kept alive, so to speak, through a ventilator... Legally, we, we can consider them dead and take them off of ventilation. Um, there was a lot of controversy around this. Um, and later, interestingly enough, one of the panelists actually admitted this determination they reached wasn't really based on medical science. It Because the medical science really didn't point them to one conclusion or another. They couldn't ascertain a clear answer. It was based more solely on ethics. But the thing was, the ethics of it were so obviously correct that they ran with it anyway. Um, but after this happens, um, 48 states adopt that as a legal standard for death. The other two, New York and New Jersey, they recognize it, but they also include a religious exemption um, because um, both of those states have sizable Orthodox Jewish communities. Um, some Orthodox Jewish communities, um, part of their belief is that um, life only ends when you stop breathing and your heart stops beating. Um since then, we've had numerous controversies and media firestorms on the topic, Terry Schiavo being the most memorable of them. Um, big, big case. One that was going on at the same time as Ben Schreiber's motion was um, the case of Jai McMath, this just absolute clusterfuck of a situation um, involving a 13-year-old girl that um, went in for an elective procedure to have her tonsils removed. Turns out she had a congenitive um uh, ailment that they didn't recognize at first where her artery in her neck was in a slightly different location essentially caused her to bleed to the point where she lost almost all brain function and I was going to tell an abbreviated version of this story but it's really not possible other than to say it is a 
total fucking mess, and we really didn't wind up with a clear conclusion from it. So all this is going on at the same time, and reading between the lines here, I think there was no way the Iowa Court of Appeals was going to touch this issue unless they really had to, which they didn't. So instead, the question they considered was, what does a life sentence really mean? A question that had really never been tackled before. Is Ben Schreiber's interpretation correct that it means the sentence ends at a point where someone's heart stops, even if doctors are able to revive them? Well, it turns out the answer to this question, they decided, was no. It was really, it was really more like, fuck no. Uh, the, the, the language Why they, am I not surprised? The language they used was, uh, quote, unpersuasive and without merit, was how they described his claim. Um, they, they, they didn't pull punches on it. So, a simple no would have sufficed. I'm imagining they're like in like in like the books. They're like absolutely the fuck not, but on the side of like, but really good job though. You made us think. So their interpretation um, was that if you are given a life sentence and you continue to exist on the planet Earth as a living person, you must continue serving the sentence. They said either one of two things is true: either Ben Schreiber is alive, in which case he must remain in prison. Or he's dead, at which point the claim is moot because he can't file motions and has no rights. So it basically boiled down to the old axiom that a dead man can't sue nobody. But on the moon, he's clear, because you said on Earth. So the life sentence ends on the moon, is what I'm hearing. That. A possible legal issue we'll have to confront someday. <laughs> so no matter how many times, like, no matter how many times or uh, how many ways you bring someone back to life, like Necronomicon or Voodoo <laughs> or Zombie Apocalypse, they're still, if they're alive, they still have to get go right back to prison. Yes. I'm going to pitch an idea for a new Pet cemetery movie. I've got an idea. <laughs> Can't be any worse than any of the other ones. Because <laughs> the thing was... Down that broad. <clears throat> down that broad's the Pet cemetery. Because the thing was, like... Schreiber's contention was that he had died previously and was brought back. He could yeah. not seriously contend that he was still dead and <laughs> and that he was writing his appeal from beyond the grave. And so he, he fails on that basis. And as for whether that's the right decision or not, I mean, that's really an impossible question to answer for a couple of reasons. One, as I said, like it was a matter of first impression. I mean, you know, how, we really don't have any framework to say whether that's right or not. Um, also, you know, I my view of the law, my philosophy is more what we call legal realism. Um, the the catchier phrase you use is that the law is fake, which is true. Like the law does not. Ex- there's natural law and then there's man made law. The natural law is like fucking physics and gravity and shit. That yeah. just is what it is. Criminal law is created by humans, um, as is civil law, um, and unfortunately, um, you know, a lot a lot of the legal system either willfully doesn't acknowledge this or um, is is just naive enough not to. They think the law is this rigid thing um, and that even bad outcomes can be justified because that's, you know, that's just what the law says. Well, the thing is, the law is fucking fake. I mean, it can say whatever we want it to. Um, and so fitting with that philosophy, I mean, yeah, the, even if it wasn't a matter of first impression, the judges, in my philosophy, should look at the claim just based on the merits and come to their own conclusion. Um, I'll also say that you know, I've made my stance clear on on this show that I disagree with the death penalty. I'll, I'll go one further. I actually don't even agree with life without parole. I mean, I think at minimum someone should have the possibility to go in front of a parole board 
realistically, a, a lot of the worst offenders are never going to get paroled. But like, what the fuck is yeah, the harm see, of at least letting them try? Yeah. You know, I was going to say the the worry with people is like, oh, well, you're going to put somebody like fucking Jeffrey Dahmer in, in prison and you're going to give them the chance to get out at some point. If that person is as crazy as, say, yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer and, and remorseless craziness is, remains yeah. unabated, yeah. they're not going to do well at a parole hearing. <laughs> yeah. As it turns it's, it's out, just not gonna still insane. Yeah, the reality of LWAP is like a lot How of other many... things. It, it's something that gets dangled out there, um, you know, to motivate more people into into pleading. You know, it's a it's right. it's a strategic ploy, like a lot of other things. Or it's you know something I mean, you can it's... tax someone with after trial to punish them for going to trial in states where you don't have a death penalty. That's the other that's the other yeah. reality of it. I mean, just to speak to how dumb that idea of the potential of parole is. Fucking Charles Manson came up for parole like 15 times. Yeah. And every time the parole board said, no, you crazy little shit. We're not letting you out there. And no, you're Charles Manson. No. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're going to say to all of these horrendous offenders that you're so worried would get paroled. Like, right. there's a certain level where just based on what you've done before no matter how well you present yourself, you're probably not getting back out. But for someone like Schreiber, who, like, killed one person, there were some suggestions that, you know, maybe this guy was a real piece of shit and an abuser. By you know, let's say he's in prison for 20 years. What is the harm in at least letting someone objectively determine whether he's rehabilitated yeah. and fit? And, like, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. If he's not, then you say no and you send him back. Um, right. So with all that being said, I actually do agree with the, the Court of Appeals ruling here <laughs> because, like, I think it creates an absurd reading of what a life sentence is. Otherwise, um, you know, the, the onus of a life sentence is not on the death. It is that as long as you are alive, you have to serve this sentence. I think that's pretty obviously right. But again, like, Schreiber, he may as well try. He had nothing to lose. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, it's worth you, a shot. If you want to die... If you want to die for five minutes, we will gladly let you outside for those five minutes. But as soon as we bring you back, your ass is right back in the cell. Well, also, it just gave him something to do. Like, it, it you know, having to go to court over this, it occupied his time. I, you know, yeah. I assume he, he got, um, you know, like an appellate public defender. I don't know how things work in Iowa, but presumably an attorney helped him with the appeal that gave him someone else to talk to. Yeah. This is the yeah, reality. It. it was just something to do. So... You know, worth a shot. I think it was the correct ruling, but, um, you know, despite being a, apparently a pretty bad guy, kudos to Shriver <laughs> for trying. Here, So here's the other legal issue involved, and this is what makes it suck even more. And I have some questions about wh why the fuck we even had to get to this point. Some years prior to this, Schreiber had signed a do not resuscitate order. But and oh, I don't no. I don't know why the fuck they do this in Iowa or, or how this works or where else they do this. The reason that they did resuscitate him is, for whatever reason, they didn't honor it. They called his brother and was like, uh, you know, what do you want to, you know, he's dying. What do you want us to do with him? His brother was like, I, I want you to bring him back. Fucking dick. <laughs> and so they did. And so, like, can you imagine? You you suffer this horrendous fate. You've been in prison for 20 years. You, you suffer this horrendous, painful ailment. Finally, mercifully, you die. You wake up and like, hey, you're better now. Time to go back to prison. Turns out you I would be so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> like, who the fuck did that benefit? Did anybody want that outcome? 
Because it's like he just becomes he just becomes real life Deadpool. <laughs> he just tries to die in every way he possibly can, but nothing works. Oh my so, god, they resuscitated Kenny, you bastards. So that <laughs> that I think was was a bigger legal issue going on is why the fuck they do things that way or whether they even yeah. should. The problem is what remedy could he possibly seek? Like cuz the remedy <laughs> to that would be for them to kill him, which <laughs> is a whole different thing. Um put the kidney stones back in. I'm not done with them. But the Iowa well, Court of sir, Appeals is kind of you've won your civil suit and uh, we'll take you out back and shoot you now. As requested. <clears throat> so yeah, that's the story of Benjamin Schreiber, convicted murderer and a very creative appellant, apparently. <laughs> um, so um, I, I had trouble um, thinking of a, a, a good big question related to this. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit outside of it and pose a hypothetical to the two of you for my big question. You are uh, given a life sentence. Um, it can be for whatever you want. <laughs> I'll let you choose that. Um, I almost thought like if you're if you're uh, if you were to ever get a life sentence for something, what do you think it would be? But in the interest of not um, having people incriminate, that, yeah, me for any further crimes, yeah, <laughs> seems like a for bad thing I might do in the future. Yeah, it seemed like a well, bad. If you ever catch me? Here's what I was doing. It seemed like a bad road to go down. So um, let's just say you get a life sentence for something. But for whatever reason, a condition of this sentence is um, you are allowed a TV in your cell, but you can only nice. choose one television show to watch for eternity. Um, you can watch the entire catalog of it, but you can watch nothing else. What TV show are you going to pick? So for me, I have a guess I of what yours is going to be, I, but I'm curious I'm to see if it's right. Strategic. I'm going to be strategic about this. What you think is probably what my first impulse was but for me i'm gonna go with the simpsons that actually was my guess Be yeah oh really because there were about eight seasons of the simpsons that are some of the best television ever <laughs> yeah and then 20 plus seasons of garbage yeah but it's still it's like, something you can yeah. you can watch it end to end and there's 30 plus seasons so even when you wrap back around it's still going to be yeah. something you haven't seen in a while yeah, so yeah. I, I think between the fact that there is some actual quality stuff in there and just the length, my actual initial first uh, thing was The Sopranos. Oh, sure. But there aren't, I, just because that's a show I get sucked into every time I see it, and I think will never not be interesting. But there's just there's just not enough of it. I'm going to know every nook and cranny of that universe even more than I already do. And eventually I'm just going to be overexposed to the point where I can't hardly look at it anymore. My first impression was to take a joke answer and be like, oh, I'm doing Prison Break. Uh, but <laughs> Oz, uh, you're going to watch Oz just yeah. to fucking rub it in. But realistically, uh, I'd probably pick like American Dad or something like that. Like a, a, one of those like classic <laughs> animation Fox, like not classic because there's still obviously the Simpsons there, like Cody said. But like one of the shows that I like still find myself getting sucked back into and I'm currently in the middle of a getting sucked back into it uh, spree right now. Yo, my my guess is act my choice is actually in line with both of yours. I was gonna go Family Guy, yeah. Um, very rewatchable and also like it's appro approaching like twenty seasons now. So yeah. Um, you know there there's no shortage of episodes to get through. So yeah, I, th I think we zeroed in on the same. It's like ones that aren't gonna drive you as insane to rewatch. Yeah. Um, but that there's a lot to get through. You know. Yeah. See, yeah, I mean, like the Simpsons is a great choices. choice. 
yeah, there's there's choices like say, oh, like the Twilight Zone would be another one for me just because it's one of my favorite shows. But by the by the point you've watched it like three times through, you've been like, we get it. There was time now. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> well, oh, and, this is and the one with we, the man on the wing. And for that matter, get it. The monsters really us. Jesus. And for that matter, prison is really not the greatest environment to be. You know. Considering existential horrors, I wouldn't think. <laughs> yeah. you, you get enough of that in your day-to-day life, you know. Um, yeah, I'll, like, I, I, I'm imagining now the worst choices you could possibly make, and I'm thinking, like, either just terrible daytime TV show or, like, Twin Peaks would be another really bad one. <laughs> yeah. You just get uh, all of the worst laugh track shows. <laughs> oh, God. Um. Yeah, for as much as I like Whose Line Is It Anyway, if I had to watch that in prison, oh I, I, I would hang myself in my cell. It, that's not the right environment to be watching Whose Line. Right. No. Too sincere. I think I would probably I think I would probably snap to the point where I would just pause it and then do my own response to whatever <laughs> game they were doing just to to try and break up the monotony. You know, well, uh, today, that happens in my that happens in my head anyway when I watch the show. I'm like, what would I have said here? That right, that makes today, me today I'm Brady. That makes me think though, another good choice would be if you could get an archive of every episode of Jeopardy. A million Ooh. episodes and you can engage oh, yeah. with it. That'd be a good yeah, choice. Shit. Yeah. Um All right, well yeah, good good answers both. It seemed like we were all kind of on the same page. Um and so we're two topics down. Which means for our final topic, our final guy of the week, we turn to Cody. Cody, who's your guy this week? Um, so my guy, I think this week, uh, my topic really gets at what the spirit of what a guy is. Maybe exemplifies it more than anything else, because this is a guy who is only well-known, remarkable in any way whatsoever because he was such an asshole and left such a bad impression on everybody oh that he has been been entered into pop culture. I'm talking about British hotel owner Donald Sinclair. <laughs> so, Beautiful. yeah, Donald if Sinclair, if you become famous as a hotel owner, something has gone <laughs> either terribly right or wrong. Usually wrong. Uh, so it, I, now, is he a worse guy than H. H. Holmes? No, probably he's not. not a worse right. Guy. <laughs> But it's but H. H. Holmes did the kind of shit you get famous for. Right. This guy was right. just a prick. Okay. <laughs> and still, somehow, here we are. So Donald William Sinclair, uh, born in July of nineteen oh nine. He was the co proprietor of the Glen Eagles Hotel in Torquay, uh Torquay, sorry, Devonshire, England. Um was uh helping to manage the hotel. His wife really ran the hotel. Um, which is something we're going to see uh, continue in the piece of media that he inspired. Um, but actually, his his main career early on, and, and a lot of people point to this as maybe why he was the way he was in later life, but he was a military guy. He was a, a naval officer in both the Merchant and Royal Navies, um, got sunk on a couple different ships in World War II. So, you know, this guy was a career military naval officer type guy. And that was his attitude toward everyone. Ugh. I mean, he just, he always acted like he was still on a fucking Navy ship. And, you know, out in the real world, that doesn't play too well with people. Yeah, you, you definitely, 
Because, like, I work with someone who is, like, a former military officer, and he he took, like, the right things away from it. Like, he, he, he he's very stern with people, but, like, he isn't a prick, you know? <laughs> like, he, know, yeah. he, knows, <laughs> yeah. he knows when, like, the right place to be stern. Yeah. But there are definitely people, like, I assume this guy is, who um, just boss everybody around because that's yeah. what they're used to. There's a difference between being a hard ass and just being a douche. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this guy, uh, and the character that he inspired, not to give too much away, uh, tells you specifically what kind of, of dick he was. He was kind of like an incredulous dick where anything goes wrong and he instantly spirals into, like, cursing the universe for why is this happening to me. Um, he was one of those people who, the phrase I will use for him is perpetually inconvenienced. <laughs> Now I'm starting to oh, sympathize. I'm starting to sympathize with this guy. So, yeah. so that's how uh, I feel. He married, he married his wife Beatrice uh, Beatrice Ritchie uh, in Glasgow during the war. Uh, her father was a cop. She was just a, a regular old lady from uh, Aberdeenshire. And Aberdeenshire. Fat- Aberdeenshire. Fuck. A regular old lady from Aberdeenshire. Dude, this is England. Everything's named like Tolkien. Like everything, everything is like somehow weirdly pagan related and obnoxiously long and complicated. Aberdeenshire sounds like the a place that like a wicker man situation would happen. Yeah. So she was a little bit more cosmopolitan than he was, and that was a source of friction throughout their life. Uh, She worked as a fashion consultant and designer at a Glasgow department store. Um, she later moved to Torquay to live with some family after the Germans bombed Glasgow in World War II. Um, while her husband was still serving at sea right after the war ended, Beatrice opened a hotel in Torquay called Greenacres. Um, the business was very successful, and she, in 1964 she bought a private house that she transformed into a second, smaller hotel, kind of like a B&B thing, named the Glen Eagles. And this is where history would be made. The Glen Eagles was named after her favorite part of uh, her native Scotland. Uh, by this time, her husband had, uh, the war was over, he'd left the Navy, and he was helping her run the business. Now, he was not terribly happy about this. And it's it's likely that he would have just gone on being this guy forever, if not for a very um, almost serendipitous star-crossed set of visitors that the Glen Eagles Hotel would host in May of 1970. Alex, I will prohibit you from guessing. Jack John, who do you think it was? What was the year again? May 1970. Honestly, I have no idea even where to guess for this. I, I it was the I, mo- it was the Monty Python comedy troupe. Yeah, I, I was just gonna okay. guess John Cleese in general because I know where this yeah. is going. So right, yeah. So. John Cleese's stay here is even a little bit more remarkable than the rest. So the yep. Monty Python comedy troupe check in to the uh, Glen Eagles Hotel uh, while they were filming on location. I don't, I guess in 1970 it would have just been for Flying Circus. I don't think they were uh, doing movies yet. That would have been like midway through Flying Circus's run, I think. But they were all just instantly fascinated with this guy, Donald Sinclair, who was, again, managing the hotel. And John Cleese described him as singularly the rudest man I've ever come across in my life. <laughs> um, among specific examples, um, 
the one American member of Monty Python, Terry Gilliam, um, had his uh, table etiquette critiqued by Sinclair to the point of where he was like being a real asshole about it. He's like saying he was eating too American. <laughs> um, he tossed uh, Eric Idle's briefcase out of a window in case it contained a bomb. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just being you know cautious. <clears throat> and well, see, they asked him why the fuck he would do this. And he said, we've had a lot of staff problems. <laughs> had a lot of bombs, so this is just kind of practice now. So, th- I'm again, just... this guy was such a prick, he was worried that one of his former disgruntled employees would want to blow up the entire hotel. I, How foolish is it to act like an absurd cartoon character around the fucking Monty Python? Like, you're gonna be a character yes. in something. Yes. Uh huh. Um, you know, he just was was completely lacking in hospitality. Michael Palin's uh, sentiment on this, and th- this is basically everybody's, but he the way he worded it was: Sinclair seemed to view us as a colossal inconvenience, <laughs> and that that was just how he viewed his guests. Uh, I mean, he's honestly, a, it, same. Yeah, I mean they they said his his whole like attitude toward running a hotel was like he didn't want the guests to be there. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously the Python guys were all just, just dumbfounded and kicking around ideas for this. But John Cleese and his wife at the time, Connie Booth, who, uh, if you're not familiar with her, uh, good actress, brilliant writer, um, has kind of retired from the industry since then. But as far as like, 70s british comedy she had a big hand in uh sculpting this this next legendary piece of well, media and, as and, well and also very very funny doing uh uh bit parts in monty python occasionally yeah she was she was the witch in holy grail yep um but she uh stayed on she and john cleese were so fascinated by this man that they stayed on at the hotel after the filming was completed to do research on Donald. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so they stayed on and just kind of recorded his mannerisms. And for a couple years, they tried to pitch this idea. Uh, eventually the BBC finally bought it. Um, they commissioned it. I believe in 1975 was the first season, a little show called faulty towers. Mm-hmm. Now, criminal, Alex, criminally underrated comedy show. Yes, Alex, I know you've seen it, Jack. I don't know if you have, but I we have, need to yes. watch it. Some, I yes. need to, yeah, we it, need to watch it sometime. It is <clears throat> some of the funniest television I have ever seen in my life. It, I know it's one of your favorite shows. Is it our dad's favorite? It's. I know it's one of our dad's absolute favorite shows. As far as as far as comedies, yeah, it yeah. might be his favorite. British Mike comedies is like to love watching it. British comedies, it's like obviously Monty Python's Flying Circus, Faulty Towers, and he also loved um, the Thin Blue Line, the Rowan Atkinson TV show mm-hmm. from back in the day, and yeah. Mr. Bean. That actually, you know, despite uh, kind of glorifying cops a little bit, it the Thin Blue Line is still a solid watch. Well, um, like it's Rowan Atkinson. It's fuck whatever it is. It's going to be funny. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Cleese finally got this pitch. Now, this is gives me a uh, an alleyway to talk about something that greatly irritates me, and that is British television, like h- how they do things as far as producing shows is maddening. 
because Faulty Towers had two seasons of six episodes apiece, one in 1975 and one in 1979. That Jesus. makes no fucking sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> um, but John Cleese and his then wife, Connie Booth, uh, pitched this idea of this television show set in a small hotel in, uh, in Torquay, England, run by a man named Basil Fawlty, who was based on Donald Sinclair. And Basil Fawlty, basically, the way to... He's very acerbic and very, like, quick to, you know, ju- he's very snobbish, very quick to judge other people as well. Um, has no problem making fun <laughs> of the guests to their face because he thinks they're all riffraff. But the minute anything goes wrong, he just goes completely to pieces. Like, he has, like, a five-year-old style tantrum, like, loses his shit completely. And they said this is what they took from, primarily from Donald Sinclair. But if you've ever seen the show, how fucking insulting is it to know that this guy's behavior is modeled after you? Uh, Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. Like, that's a wake-up call um, of wake-up calls, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, he was, you know, abusive to the staff, literally physically in the case of, of course, the poor poor waiter Manuel. Uh, Always felt bad for Manuel. Yeah. Like, he hit him with a frying pan once or twice. I mean, it was... There was a lot going on there, but I mean, he, he was always trying to class the place up and just basically it, treating any and all guests as like they were imposing on him and they should be more grateful that he was allowing them to be there and stop asking me for shit. Um, so John Cleese and Connie Booth just latched onto this idea. And again, the show, not tremendously successful at first, but it became a cult thing. And really, by the time they finally did the second season, um, it was much more popular. I think the second season got much better ratings because the first had had time to kind of make its way into the the pop culture water table, basically. Um, Connie Booth, by the way, also played a supporting role on this show as Polly was, was very funny here as well. So in addition to writing, also did some acting in this one. Um there have been kind of mixed reviews on just how accurate the Basil Fawlty uh, comparison is. Um, his family is very offended on his behalf. <laughs> I, I could imagine they'd be like, now he's not that big of an asshole. Yeah. Um, she, uh, his wife described her husband as a gentleman and a very brave man and not the neurotic eccentric that John Cleese made him out to be. You sure? Um, Are you sure? Yeah, she. I mean, he chucked Eric Idle's briefcase out of a window yeah. because he thought there might be a bomb in that, it. Like, that doesn't. That's brave. like that doesn't sound like brave to me. No, that sounds um, like hilariously cowardly. Yeah, and uh, she did say she was very much in charge of the business, and in the show, the one person that can that might even be a funnier character than Basil is uh, his wife in the show, Sybil, who is yeah. constantly shutting down anything and everything he. He tries to do is much more competent and is really in charge of the business. She said, yeah, I mean, he, he just wasn't really, he wasn't really a hotel guy. So, you know, what I said pretty much goes, um, they talked to Rosemary Harrison, who was a waitress, uh, at the Glen Eagles under Sinclair and her exact quote is faulty towers was terribly funny. John Cleese exaggerated the character, but the basic things are there. 
he probably wasn't as neurotic, but he was just so bad tempered. <laughs> it was as if he didn't. It was as if he didn't want the guests to be there. He was bonkers. He thought it was ridiculous that people wanted to drink at lunchtime. These were paying guests. They would be out there by the pool looking for a drink, and he wouldn't open the bar. He just wasn't cut out for the hotel business. Yeah, that seems to be a, a pretty accurate assessment. I, I think, honestly, this was just a guy who was not very well adjusted to life outside the military and then went into the worst possible profession. Um. Now, I will say, in this day and age, you might be able to, to pitch this idea as like a novelty, if you would advertise it as such, as like a novelty hotel concept or like B&B concept. Um, yeah, it's like the dickhead hotel. You know, yeah. they, they <laughs> the staff treats you <laughs> like garbage. And I say this because I was just talking about the other day with people. I don't know if this is still around anymore, but like, have you been to like a Chinese buffet where they have the prime rib carving station and the carver is a very, very stern older gentleman yeah. who who treats you like total crap. And for some reason, that kind of yeah. makes the prime rib taste better. There's like and, actual change where like it's intentional that like the staff will just be a douche to you. People are like, ha, he called me a fat ass. Like that's, that's a selling point. Like it could work. Come in and be abused. The whitest kids you know had a very funny sketch about that. Oh, yeah. you're right. Um... Yeah, he just, again, I I think this, that would be a decent idea, but even better is if they gave you the authentic Basil Fawlty experience where (laughs) something goes wrong and he just melts down completely. (laughs) So I guess that brings us to my big question for the two of you, because, uh, you know, that that was basically it for Donald Sinclair. He passed away in 1981, lived a, a fairly quiet life up until then, um, you know, passed away with some friends and family that loved him, so not not the worst way it could have gone for him ultimately but one thing that um this made me think of and you know we've both been to enough music festivals and sporting events and that we've we've encountered some just real weirdos out there in the wild yes so my big question for the two of you is if you could create a tv show based on some random person you've seen out in public What's what's your show? What's the the concept? I think so. There's a guy that um, we see every time we go to a show in Chicago, and apparently there's like lore behind this guy because like we, we were in a crowd next to like his cousin once, who we heard talking about him, and he's a guy. There there seems to be something like maybe slightly off about him, but he's a super nice guy, and he. He's, like, really big and burly, and he wears, like, work gloves to shows, and just the entire show will just help people crowd surf and and help regulate the pit. That, I want to build, like, an entire world of lore behind that guy. Um, Because I've seen him in action, and he's fantastic. I could see, um, oh, what the fuck's his name? A guy that plays Kenny Powers in Eastbound and Down. I can see him playing that role. Um, there, I, there is a bit of a extremely famous guy. Yes. It's, um, Danny Danny McBride. Yeah. Danny McBride. Yeah. I, that, that's a Danny McBride character to me. (laughs) There's a person that I saw. It had to have been almost 10 years ago. Now it was right when I I was like, right at like 21, 22, a couple friends and I were out getting hammered in downtown Indy and 
like my friend lived downtown. He had an apartment really close, like one of the major roads. And there was like a grocery store off the off the like off the way. And like right around like midnight, one a.m., we're like, hey, like let's go grab some drunk munchies on the way back to your apartment. So as we're like ransacking this grocery store at one a.m., we're waiting in line with like cups of ramen and like chips and snacks. And in behind, we see in line a man with a twelve pack of eggs, a gallon of milk. And a whiskey glass that is half filled, just casually <laughs> sipping it while he's in a bathroom. That's a man living his best life. We let him that go is... in front of us because he clearly had better things to do. <laughs> and we we asked we asked the woman checking out, and she goes, "Oh yeah, that's Greg. He's in here once a week getting groceries. That was his groceries." <laughs> and he was just tying Greg. one down. And she was just like, "Yeah, no, he comes in all the time." I want to know more about that man. I, I suspect many of most of the episodes are going to be about drinking whiskey and making French toast. Yeah, it was, it was just so I, fascinating and surreal. God damn, I wish I, I was, was going to say, "Is this is this is this a comedy or is this a sad portrait of alcoholism?" It, it's <laughs> Bojack. Really it blends it. It blends it. <laughs> there you go. Can I tell um. Not my story, but real quickly, I'll, I'll tell a story from a friend of mine. I won't name his name because, uh, um, well, <laughs> but it involves uh, a, a late night um, drunk munchies run. Um, a friend of mine who I actually, actually don't know if he listened to the show or not, but um, from the St. Louis area back when the Rams were in town. So we're coming full circle here. Um, his family always made it a big deal going to Rams games, tailgating and everything. And so this is when he was in college, I think. And um so he had been hanging out with family. He's been drinking and, and smoking weed all day um, and uh, decided to go to the, the Taco Bell. Actually, the Taco Bell that's closest to my house now, um, down on Hampton Avenue. Um, around midnight, decided to go through the drive-thru and get some food. Um, and he pulls up to the to uh, um, the stop and uh, they say over the, over the intercom, said, Hey, before you order, we just want to let you know all we have is beans. And he's just like, what? And he goes, all we have is beans. <laughs> and he goes, okay, good night. And he just leaves. <laughs> like, what could that so have possibly meant? Like, yeah, you meant like in place of meat or like that had to be what have, they meant. You literally don't have tortillas or cheese or lettuce. You just had big bowls of beans. What I think. One of two things is true. Either it's what you said that um, they didn't have ground beef, so like beans is like all they had to, to fill like a burrito with, and it, it was just no. The guy was just not super artful about putting it. Option two, they could tell this guy was fucking hammered, and they just didn't they just didn't want to deal with them, and so they just said that to, to avoid work, which I totally respect. If, um, dude, if I, one I'm thing working... I learned from the one the one here in town, Taco Bell workers. If you get late enough at night, they will fuck with you sometimes. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes we knew one that works and I, yeah, I am, shit back. And I am always, yeah, always if I'm not in a great mood, especially, I am always tempted to fall back on some very classist rhetoric, but <laughs> keep telling myself, no, I'm not gonna do that. Um Honestly though, if I'm working one AM in a talk about drive through, I'm gonna fuck with like one out of every oh, yeah. five people that yeah. comes through. And it, it's normal nine times out of ten, it's not even remotely mean spirited. They're just kidding around. Like they're just yeah. and you, you know, half the time they want you to be in on the joke too. It's yeah. very, very benign. It reminds Honestly, me of I also want to meet the guy who's like, all you have is beans. Okay. 
what can you make with that? I'll call your bluff on that. Okay, I yeah. guess I'll take some beans then. Um, um, what do you put them in? Do we get a spoon? It, it, it reminds me also of um, this picture I have saved on my phone. One of the few images that will make me laugh every single time I look at it. I don't even know what restaurant it was. I think you can kind of see in the background, but it's um, outside of a – it's a, a sign that the workers printed out and put up that said, uh, sorry for the inconvenience, but we is all out of ham. I crack up every time I see it. <laughs> also, I went to a Taco Bell once in the middle of the day, and they're real apologetic about it. And they said, hey, just so you know, we were supposed to get our shipment of tortillas in, and the truck's running late, so we don't have any tortillas. And instead of, like, racking my brain to think of what I could get other than just crunchy tacos, I just I just left. <laughs> I didn't want to burn the... I'm like, if you're all seeing... You're give dealing me, with some shit. I'm going to give you all the day off and not trouble you with this. Give me the crunchiest crunch wrap supreme of all time. Yeah. Um, so my, uh, my TV show about a random person is going to be... Alex, I don't think... You didn't go to Point Fest with us my senior year in no. high school when I went with some of my friends, did you? No. Okay, so Point no. Fest, I don't know if I've told you about this guy. And I wonder, I just saw one of our friends that, that went with me, and next time I see her, I'll have to ask her if she remembers this guy. Would that be but, friend of the show, Riss? Yep. Yeah, one of our consistent yeah, our, listeners. Our, our, our adopted sister, yes. Um, so she, uh, she and I and two of our other friends went to Point Fest, which is – it's uh, the state, the big rock concert that 105.7 The Point in St. Louis puts on every year. It's yep. kind of a festival. My, my first real concert was a Point Fest, yeah. I am kind of ashamed that, um, yeah, I, I went to a Point Fest knowing now uh, who was playing and the shifting opinions I have of those artists. There are a couple I still, I'll still listen to, but... Yeah, the like one I went saliva to, was there. The one I went to, Granted, had, we didn't fucking, want to see saliva, but well, they were there. Well, the one that I went to had like fucking Coheed and Ludo, so it was and see, uh, Coheed, and Killswitch. Coheed they were there. Did play, Coheed did play the main stage that day, although they were not nearly as good as like the times we've seen them at Riot Fest hmm. or Warp Tour. It maybe just wasn't their crowd, but like Seether playing that shit. Oh. Um, I will see, some yeah. great butt rock in there. I love it. I, I will say Papa Roach were fantastic. Oh, I, I can. Were, I totally believe that. Yeah, there's there's one of those bands that I can still still listen to for sure. But like fucking Hollywood Undead was there. Like that, that's just kind of <laughs> oh, shitty. God, I, I saw them around that time. We didn't watch them, but they were there. Yeah, I went to a festival um, and there was only one stage, and Hollywood Dead was in the fucking middle of it. <laughs> so, we were. Um, sitting there on a hill i think while hollywood undead were playing somewhere else because there was nothing else we wanted to watch and god damned if we were gonna like say we spent money to watch hollywood undead um but we're sitting there on the hill kind of up toward the top and soon we see a man enter the hill he was there by himself this man had to be at least 60 years old he had pure white hair and a white beard he is wearing the most 2008 khaki shorts you can possibly imagine. I can picture them already. And, and a Hawaiian shirt that was open to the neck. He then proceeds in front of us to sit down with the air of someone who is tucking into the lunch he brought. He immediately starts rolling joints. I was going to say, if this guy doesn't pull out a joint, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> yeah. 
No, he didn't pull out a joint. He sat there, pulled out a bag, and rolled three <laughs> or four right the fuck there. He then... Well, you gotta just... find a way to enjoy Hollywood Undead somehow. <laughs> he just lights one up, and then there's this group of kids who are there about our age, sitting about five feet to the right of him. He just turns to them and goes, Huh? Huh? You want something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so and of course they said hell yeah so well yeah he's down there smoking weed with a bunch of high school kids i i want to follow the adventures of this man i imagine it's going to turn out kind of like a much more lighthearted the big lebowski and say if you if you go through if you start looking through prison rosters you can probably find him <laughs> he was episode... such a jolly old guy. He was he was like butt rock Santa Claus every, <laughs> that day. Every every episode is just him giving weed to teenagers. <laughs> you know what? Somebody has to. <laughs> and it ain't gonna be me. Not and again. remember, kids, pass to the right. <laughs> All right. Well, so, uh, yeah. Good. Great good answers. <laughs> great answers. Well, that, I think, wraps this one up. Uh, uh, some fun topics this week. Um, and, uh, yeah, hope you all enjoyed that. And we hope to have you back next week. Um, who only knows what kind of insanity will unfold next week. Um, it's certainly not going to get any more normal, I'll tell you that much. I know very little, but I know that much. Um, so, um, let's go around the horn and everybody everybody promote your shit. Cody, where can the people find you? You can find me, first of all, weekly here on Here's a Guy. Um also on Twitter, I am at Son of Gravy for 2069. You can find me on a couple episodes of Belchcast and um, Segway Galore here. Uh, we Jack hosts that with our good friend Pookie. And starting tomorrow night, you can catch us with Pookie on Jack's Twitch channel playing a little D&D. That's right. It technically be tonight when this goes up. But yes. Well, yeah. This episode's scheduled to drop Thursday morning, so check uh, Jack's Twitter or uh, uh, Twitch this evening. Twitter, Twitter will probably have a link too, so okay. do whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Thursday yeah. the seventeenth. Catch us playing D and D on Jack's Twitch channel. That's yes. right, fucking asshole. And so, <laughs> we, so we've heard a little bit of it, but uh, Jack, where can the people find you? Yeah, people can find me on Twitter at Jack John Jose. You can find me a lot more drunk than I am on this show on Belchcast every two weeks. Pookie and I are putting out a brand new episode where we talk about beer and video games. And find me on Twitch at Jack John Plays Games. Going live at 7 p.m. tonight Eastern to play some good old Dungeons and Dragons. Here's a guy gets murdered off by Pookie one by one. Sick. And uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Turpin the number four P R E Z. Follow the podcast account. Here's a guy pod. And uh, we have a uh, an email address. It's uh, here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Send us whatever you want. Uh, if we like it enough, we'll read it on the show, as you've heard so, uh, several times. So thank you all for joining us. And uh, to uh, take us away, Cody, do you have a tagline? I do indeed. All right. Well, with that all being said, um, thanks once again for being here. We uh, hope you join us again next week. And Cody, hit us with that tagline. Happy birthday, Robert Wadlow, you big son of a bitch. Bye, daddies.